turn with me, if you will, meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Meet me in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be looking this morning at verses 6 through 15. Lately, we've been talking a lot about intentionality, about being more intentional in our leadership and in our ministry and in our purpose as a church about fulfilling the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. As individual believers and as a believing church, we are to love God with everything we have and do, going into all the world and making disciples in His name. It's about loving the Lord, reaching people for the Lord, and building each other up in the Lord, or, or what I've called our upward, outward, and inward priorities. So we've been assessing our current uh, practice in ministry, while also planning for future ministry. And it's all been very, very intentional. And it seems to be resonating with many of you, which is very, very encouraging to me. So, for instance, this week uh, or recently, I received an email, and I want to I share just an excerpt from this email. Uh, one member of our congregation writes the following. Hello, Pastor. Thank you for your uplifting messages. I'm excited to learn about the purpose and vision of the church and I'm glad to see you encouraging the people to be more focused and intentional in their actions in order to fulfill God's purpose for our lives and for us together as a church. The Lord has been working on my heart during the past year and now, through your sermons again, convicting me that I need to be doing more about fulfilling the Great Commission. So thank you again. The Lord has used you to encourage me to be more willing to reach others and to show them the love of Jesus more and to let myself be inspired and motivated by the love I have for God, putting it into practice. So again, this response and others like it are very, very encouraging to me and hopefully to you as well. Because today I want to consider another area of intentionality. The need to be intentional in our giving. Specifically, in financial giving. Not because we're in crisis mode, we're not. We're not. Praise God for that. But simply because fulfilling our purpose as a church requires investing financially in the church. And because ministry simply isn't free. Church life and church ministry has always come with a cost. And I think Team Zambia, or, or, or what do we call it, Impact Indola, I think Team Zambia, Impact Indola is a great example, a great reminder of this, and that these Six people from our congregation are investing in that ministry and they're investing financially 
It's not free to go to Zambia and serve in that way. Going to Indola and serving with Northrise, there's a cost to it, even a financial cost. And even Northrise itself is a great example, as are all of our ministries. The plain fact is that ministry requires money. And it's been that way from the early days of the church to the church today. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, chapters 8 and 9 speak to this. Verify this. Prove this. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's encouraging the believers there to be generous givers. Paul is organizing a collection for the church in Jerusalem, and he alerts the Corinthians that he will be passing through their area to collect their contribution. He's giving them a heads up, so to speak, while also stirring them toward generosity. We come to chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, and he tells them that he's been boasting about them to the Macedonian churches, and he therefore expects them to make the most of this opportunity to give. I love the fact that the Apostle Paul uh, believes in the Corinthian church in the Corinthians, and he exhorts them to live up to their potential and reputation. A reputation that Paul himself has been spreading throughout the other churches. He wants them to be who they are. He wants them to stretch themselves. And he wants them to serve as an example for others. So what we find here in verses 6 through 15 is tremendous teaching on financial giving that is rich in theology and practical application. And it is very very encouraging. And it is very, very disarming. And so I hope, among other things, I hope this morning that, that God uses His Word to deliver us from, to deliver us, including me, from the sense of anxiety or defensiveness that we sometimes feel when we talk about money and giving to the church. I think we could summarize this passage like this. God's abundant grace toward us enables us to be abundantly gracious givers. Okay? 
God's abundant grace toward us enables us to be abundantly gracious givers. So with that in mind, let's read it. Follow along. Verse, I'll be reading from verse 6 through verse 15. The Word of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. <laughs> the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all the others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. 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 In these 10 verses, we could go about this a number of ways. Here's how I'm going to do it. In these 10 verses, I, I found, I see 10 reasons <laughs> to give generously. We're only going to cover five of them today. Five next week. Ten reasons to give generously. All of them, please see this, all of them motivated by God's grace, empowered by God's grace, and reflective of God's grace. Ten reasons all of them motivated by God's grace, empowered by God's grace, and reflective of God's grace. I want to consider these reasons together. Number one, give generously because you reap to the degree that you sow. 
Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul's speaking in agricultural terms. It's proverbial. It's easily understood. The principle is essentially this. If the farmer sows a handful of seed, at most he can expect a handful-sized harvest. If he sows a bucket of seed... At most, he can receive a bucket full of harvest. <laughs> if he sows a truckload full of seed, well, at most, he'll receive a truckload's worth, or uh, what about, uh, a truckload of return. You get the idea. The point is that whatever one reaps, Whatever he reaps is proportionate to what he sows. Farmers know that if you don't sow it, you won't reap it. And the same principle, Paul is applying the same principle to giving. If we sow sparingly, he says, we will reap sparingly. If we give generously or bountifully, is the word he uses, we will also reap bountifully. The Bible testifies to this in other places. Proverbs 11.24 says, One person gives freely and grows all the richer, but another withholds what he should give, and he only suffers want. Proverbs 22.9 those who are generous are blessed. In the New Testament, Galatians 6-7, whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And Jesus himself teaches, give, 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 and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, Jesus says. And then, he, and then he ends this saying with, for, what, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So the first reason to give generously is because you reap to the degree that you sow. Number two, give generously because it is an expression or be, because giving is an expression of your heart before God. Verse 7, the first half. Each one must give what he has decided in his heart. There's a direct correlation between our attitude toward money and the condition of our heart. When the Bible speaks about our hearts, it's talking about that part of us that drives and describes us. So we things, say things like, he has a heart for music, or she has a heart for missions, or they have a heart for the Lord. 
And with these words and others like them, uh, we're saying that these are the things that drive them and describe what they're about, the things that they're passionate about. And here, the Apostle Paul wants to stir the heart toward generosity. He wants us to become more passionate about giving generously. And so he's calling the Corinthians to come to a decision in the heart. And I want you to see that he's calling each one of them meaning each person. He's writing to one church, and then within that one church, he says each one should decide, must decide, in the heart. Each member, apparently, if I'm reading this correctly, each member of the church in Corinth was expected to give something. Each one was to contribute financially, and the specific amount was to be decided in the heart. Suggesting that our giving is to be personal and prayerful. That it's There's an exchange there. There's a relationship there between you and God. Each one of us is to seek the Lord personally and ask God, seek the Lord personally, lay our finances before the Lord, present our budget to the Lord, Ask the Lord for wisdom on how to budget. Seeking His desire, what He would have us give. Because in doing so, our giving becomes a willful, worshipful response to God. Let me just say that whenever I have done this, whenever I have taken the time to sit before the Lord with the budget laid bare, and, and said, Lord, you know our needs. Here are our bills. Here's what I think is left over. What do we do? Whenever I've done something like that, I've never walked away feeling as if I gave too much. However, <laughs> when I haven't done that, when I just write the check without really thinking about it, as if it's just another bill, when I don't have this sense of, Lord, here it is, what would you have me do? I have sometimes, more often than I care to admit, 
I have sometimes felt that I gave too little. Sometimes, even as I'm dropping the check in the bag, I know that I gave too little. Giving is to be motivated, enabled, and reflective of God's grace that is willing and worshipful. Not reluctant, not under compulsion, but this willful, worshipful decision made in response to God. Give generously because giving is an expression of your heart before God. Number three, give generously because God loves it when we do. God loves it when we do. Verse seven, the second half, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And this word cheerful in the Greek, as some of you may know, it's the same, it's from the same root from which we get the English word hilarious. Meaning that giving is, to, is, to, is not to be something that we dread or avoid talking about uh, or, or, or just avoid altogether, but something that is boisterously merry <laughs> and inviting and even entertaining. Now, I've heard some people use this, this idea of a cheerful giver. I've heard some people use this, misuse this, to encourage the type of giving that is just crazy ridiculous. As if, uh, as if the amount that we're to give should just be literally laughable. Just write some crazy amount on that check that is literally laughable. I remember leading a youth group or uh, uh, our, our, youth, our youth group on a missions trip to inner city L.A. And going to a church in the inner city, large church. Happening to be there on that, the Sunday when they were doing a financial thing. And the pastor saying something to this effect that come on people Give till it's crazy. And they literally, I mean, this was a large church, a couple thousand at least. And they literally had tables set up in the back of the room with credit card machines and people were lining up just to swipe their card. There was no thought to it. There was no sitting before the Lord. That's not what this word means. It's not be ridiculous in your giving. It's not about a hilarious amount of money. It's about the hilarity of the giver. The delight, the merriment, the the joy that the giver exudes. It's very straightforward. Be cheerful in your giving. Be cheerful in your giving. Delight in giving. And the reason 
is because God is a cheerful giver. Because God enjoys giving. Because God delights to give. God's gifts to us are not reluctant or compulsory. They're freely, they're fully given, they're full of joy. God loves to give, and therefore he loves it when his people love to give. Makes him really happy. Thrills him. Brings him great pleasure. And that it shows that indeed we delight in what delights him. So give generously because God loves it when we do. Number four, give generously because God is able to make all grace abound. Give generously because God is able to make all grace abound and God is able... To make all grace abound to you, verse 8, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Four times in this one verse, we find the word all. All grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times. Which all emphasize God's all-surpassing ability to graciously care for you so that you are free to be generous with others. Essentially, this verse is assuring us that, that, that you can never outgive God. Reminds me of a story I heard. To my knowledge, a true story about a, a, a man who went out with his daughter, his young daughter. I don't remember where they were. Maybe a football game, maybe the movies, I'm not sure. But he was out with his daughter. And his little girl uh, wanted some Skittles. And so she asked her dad for some Skittles, and the dad graciously bought her a bag of Skittles. And so he, she began to eat them one by one when he leaned over to her and asked if he could have some. But to his surprise, she said, no. We've been in situations like that, right, with our kids? She wasn't willing to share a single skittle with her father even though he provided for her the entire bag. Well, imagine his reaction. Doesn't this girl know that I could buy hundreds of bags of Skittles if I wanted to. I could shower her in Skittles. I could fill her bedroom full of Skittles. 
Has she already forgotten that I'm the one who provided those Skittles? That those Skittles came from me. Well, you can see the point. Sometimes, like the daughter, we don't give because we're afraid we won't have enough. But our God, whom we serve, has limitless resources. He is sovereign over all things. Do you believe that this morning? That God is sovereign over all things. He is sovereign over nations. Over leaders of nations. Over leaders of nations whose decisions affect us financially. Over global economies. Over homes and home mortgages. Over land and landlords. Over employment and employers. Over bills and bill collectors. Over families and family budgets. God's sovereignty, among other things, means there is nothing or no one that can thwart His purposes or stay His hand when He chooses to move. That's why God is able to make all grace abound to you. All grace. And that's why His grace is all sufficient in all things at all times. All means all. Not some, but all. It means complete and total provision. And God intends this reality to bring you and me to a place of trust and absolute dependence upon Him, meaning that generous giving will not cripple us financially. Generous giving will not cripple us financially. When it's given in trust and faith and dependence upon God. When you give in response to God as a decision of the heart, cheerfully, willingly, worshipfully, you are showing that you trust God to take care of you. Listen, God doesn't want your Skittles. He wants your heart. Give generously because God is able and His grace abounds. Number five, Give generously because grace is meant to be shared. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Verse 9, as it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Here, the Apostle Paul is quoting from Psalm 112, 
to illustrate the generosity of the man who fears the Lord and delights greatly in God's commandments. Okay, that's, that's Psalm 112. That's the context of Psalm 112. And so in that psalm, the psalmist is describing this man who fears the Lord and delights in his commandments. And the, and the psalmist says that that man, he's a blessed man. He's a generous man. He's a gracious man. He deals with others generously. He's, he's not a fearful man. It actually it literally says he's not afraid of bad news, but he trusts in the Lord. He distributes freely and he gives to the poor. In other words, he shares with others the grace that God has shared with him. I want you to do me a favor. Think with me for a moment. I want you to just quickly, where you're seated, quietly, just think with me for a moment. I want you to imagine I want you to imagine what God could do in and through this congregation over the next few years if finances weren't an issue. What kind of congregation would we be? Just think quietly. Picture it. How might we glorify God more? What kind of impact might we have in the community? What would our ministry to one another entail? What would Sunday services be? Uh, how would ministry look throughout the week here on our church property and in homes and in our neighborhoods? What would, what would worship look like? What would missions and evangelism, what would that be? How about fellowship and discipleship? What would that be like? What, what kind of life change would we experience? Would you experience? What kind of life change would we experience as a church? How many more lives, I wonder, could be changed Picture it, if you were free, just if you were free to, to dream or imagine a God-sized dream and money wasn't an issue, what would it be? And then think about this. How can you help make that a reality? How can you help make that a reality? God is able to, to, to bring about all the expressions of grace in your life in order that, that, that you would abound in good works. And, and if all of us were to, to, to just adopt this mentality, seeking God's grace so that we can share it with others, imagine what kind of church we might be. If God has graced your ability to teach the Bible, teach the Bible. 
If God has graced you musically, serve on the music team. If God has graced you with skill in construction or design or fabrication, put those talents to use in the church. If God has graced your marriage, encourage other couples. If God has graced you in your parenting, come alongside other parents. And if God has graced you financially, or as God graces you financially, give generously. God's grace toward you is abundant, meaning more than you need, because it's meant to be shared with others. So here's the deal. I am not worried. You need to know this. I am not worried in the least. There have been times in years past, months past, when I have worried. I'm not at all worried. But our giving is down. thus far this year. And as I've talked with the elders, I think that we've identified a handful of reasons of why that could be. God continues to provide for us. In fact, in a very real way, I want you to know I'm thankful. I'm thankful, for example, that we have savings that has helped us through this lull in giving. If you've been here with us uh, uh, over the last couple of years, you know that even just a couple of years ago, we did not have that luxury. We did not have the luxury of a savings account. Now we do. That is a testimony to God's grace. And it is a testimony to your faithfulness. And I am very, very thankful. But as I mentioned earlier, fulfilling our purpose as a church requires investing financially in the church. As most pastors will tell you, a bare-bones budget usually means bare-bones ministry. And so although we may be paying the bills, which is good, don't we want to do more than just pay the bills? I mean, when we were free to imagine what God could do over the next few years, I doubt that any of us was excited about just paying the bills. for good reason. We'd like to allocate more monies to better resource our current ministries. We'd like to set apart the necessary funds to fuel the development of additional ministries. We'd like a greater percentage of our overall church budget to be hands-on ministry-related in its upward, outward, and inward effects. And yet the pain truth, the plain truth, 
is that the increase of our ministry will require an increase to our budget. So what can you do? Let me, let me quickly close with just three, three quick things here. What can you do? First, give. First, give. Now, I know, I know, I know, I know that some of you give faithfully. Some of you give faithfully and sacrificially. Some of you give faithfully and sacrificially and generously. I don't know who. <laughs> I don't know or want to know who gives what. You need to know that. I do not know who gives what. I do not want to know who gives what. But I just know that some of you are very faithful in this area and very sacrificial and very, very generous. You have helped establish a lifestyle of generosity here at East Parkway Church. Thank you. But I suspect that some of us could grow in this area, myself included. I suspect that some people could give more or simply that more people could give. So if you're not giving, I think the application here from this passage is give. If you're not giving faithfully or consistently, give faithfully, give consistently. If you're not giving sacrificially, give sacrificially. If you're not giving generously, give generously. And by the way, generous giving isn't at all about the dollar amount. Remember the widow's mite? Maybe all you can give is the widow's mite, and for you, that's generous giving. Praise God for that. The second thing you can do is educate yourself. I know some of you have been a great source of encouragement and education for me in this area. Uh, just there are a number of good, biblically grounded resources out there to help in the area of finances and financial giving. Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace or Randy Alcorn's The Treasure Principle. Uh, they're just two that come to mind. Maybe this is a time just to equip and resource yourself in this area. And then third, pray. Let's be in prayer together as a congregation. Let's pray about our church finances and financial giving and, and the role that we play in this area. Let's continue to pray as a congregation, about the larger context of the increase of, of our life and ministry together as God leads and supplies. This morning, we've considered five reasons, five scriptural reasons to be generous givers. Give generously because you reap to the degree that you sow and because it's an expression of your heart before God. And because God loves it when you do. And because God is able to make all grace abound to you. And because grace, God's grace, is meant to be shared. There's just five. The first five verses, or the first five reasons mentioned here in this passage, 
And if they're not enough, we'll consider the next five next week, reasons six through ten. But all of them, remember, are motivated by God's grace, empowered by God's grace, and reflective of God's grace. Indeed, God's abundant grace toward us enables us to be abundantly gracious givers. Amen. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. We do thank you for your care over us through the years. You have been so faithful, so generous, so lavish in your grace. Thank you for the many folks that are, that are seated here this morning, the, the legacy of genera- generosity that has been given here at East Parkway, that is, that is being laid and will be left. We thank you for the, for the ways you've provided for our families, our, our respective families, the ways that in, in lean times, uh, the Apostle Paul says that, that, that he's learned the secret to be content, whether he has much or little, and in many ways we've learned that to, or at least we're learning it. And so we thank you for your goodness to us in this way. Please make us be more and more generous in every area of life, including in our finances. That you would receive glory even as we bask in your glorious grace. We ask and pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.